Hello friends and welcome to our 6pm podcast. My name's Pete Stacey and I'm the evening pastor here at Shell Harbour City Anglican Church and it's great to have you with us here. Normally there'd be a lot of excitement in many homes as people prepare for the Easter school holidays, seeing family and friends perhaps getting away for a few days down the coast for a break. But instead, it's been another week of massive adjustments. Most school students and many adults are now working from home. Some have lost their jobs. Our daily routines are so different. There's increasing anxiety. And I've noticed a a suspicion between one another when we're down at the shops. Uh, In many ways, we've been reminded just how fragile life is. And there's a growing global grief as we come to terms with the ongoing impact of the pandemic of COVID-19. But in the midst of all this, let's not lose our perspective. God still sits on heaven's throne. He hears, he sees, he knows what we're going through and he understands and he's able to help. Psalm 59 verse 16 says, I will sing of your strength. In the morning I'll sing of your love. For you are my fortress, my refuge in times of trouble. And through the life, death and resurrection of his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, God brings us great hope. Just a reminder that tonight uh, we'll be celebrating the hope uh, that we have in the Lord's Supper. So if I can encourage you to have a a glass of wine or juice ready to go and uh, some bread as well, that'd be really helpful. Today's what people traditionally call Palm Sunday, when Jesus entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey. We're going to look at Luke's account, but there's no mention of palms, interestingly. As our senior minister, John, takes us through what happened, the big challenge for us is to let the truth of God's word not merely inform our minds, but speak to our hearts and change our behaviour. As usual, uh, if you've got younger ones with you at home, uh, there's an activity sheet on our Facebook page. As usual, we'll also have some music and prayers, and at the end, we're going to share together in the Lord's Supper. So let's commit our time together to God as we begin. Loving Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your promise never to leave or forsake those who trust in Jesus. Thank you for your promise to complete the good work that you have begun in all who trust in Jesus. Please work graciously and powerfully in our hearts by your Holy Spirit as we gather in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Rob Ryan is now going to read the Bible for us, and I caught up with him down at the beach. G'day, Pete. Here we are again to share in a bit of a joke about uh, after 10 years of walking this beach, most of the time just the two of us walking and praying. Finally, the rest of the world's caught up with us. Who knew? What a good idea. Two blokes walking on a beach, two metres apart, talking and praying, then sitting on a bench and sharing God's word together. So I've got uh, this week's reading after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. 
If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. And they were untying the colt. Its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw his cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And he went along. as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to, the, to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognise the time of God's coming to you. As we get into God's word now, let me pray as we begin. Dear Lord, as we come to your word today, may I speak to it faithfully and may your spirit open our eyes to see that Jesus really is the one who brings us peace. Amen. When we think of a king coming into his kingdom, we have great expectations. You know, we're expecting something bigger than Ben-Hur. Or perhaps for the kids, Prince Ali in Aladdin. What we don't expect is a king arriving on a donkey. You know, there's nothing regal or awesome or majestic about a donkey. It's a pretty humble animal. But in this scene, we have Jesus arriving in Jerusalem on a donkey. Today is what we traditionally call Palm Sunday. But as we read the account in Luke, there aren't any palms. There are cloaks, but no palms. We could call it Cloak Sunday, but that does lose a certain ring to it. Often people call this passage the triumphant entry. And certainly for many of us as Christians, we see it as triumphant, but not everyone sees it that way. I think for the average Aussie, uh, we're not really into kings and rulers. And we certainly don't feel that there's anything particularly relevant about someone proclaiming to be king in the Middle East 2000 years ago. And we certainly like the idea generally of Jesus as a good person, as someone who had some profound and moral things to say. We like the idea of Jesus perhaps coming into Jerusalem, you know, to, to make a statement to the ruling authorities, you know, a statement against the self-righteous, religious and political establishment. We like that kind of stuff. But that's really the limit of our interest. And we don't see a lot of relevance for us in day-to-day -day life. So if we're going to understand these events, then we understand why Jesus was coming into Jerusalem in the first place. And to do that, we've got to go all the way back in the book of Luke to chapter 9. 
And this is what Jesus says is going to happen. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And Jesus knows what's going to happen as he sets his face to Jerusalem. And there's something incredibly evocative about that turn of phrase. Now, Jesus is going to Jerusalem. He knows what is going to happen. And yet he chooses to go there anyway. And so we pick up events with Jesus about five kilometres out of Jerusalem in a town of Bethany. And all of this is happening just before Passover. So normally, Jerusalem was a city of about 30,000 people. At Passover, it became a city of about 180,000 people. And so people are pouring in from all over the country. And in amongst all of these crowds, there's Jesus, this prophet from the north in Nazareth. Now, in Israel, the south was kind of the cultural centre and political centre of the nation. Uh, The north, up around Galilee, was kind of, you know, the countryside. And so Jesus is coming, really, to play with the big boys now. And as he comes in, he rides on a donkey. And believe it or not, actually, a donkey is significant. If you know the history of Israel, then donkeys have a big part to play. So way back in the Old Testament, Solomon, King Solomon, came into his kingdom, Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. So this is what it says in the book of 1 Kings. Take your Lord's servant with you and have Solomon, my son, mount my own mule and take him down to Gihon. There have Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel. Blow the trumpet and shout, Long live King Solomon. Then you are to go up with him, and he is to come and sit on my throne and reign in my place. I have appointed him ruler over Israel and Judah. And so that is King David speaking. And then a little bit later on in Israel's history, there was a prophet by the name of Zechariah. And he's looking forward to another king. And this is what he says. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so now we have these words being fulfilled. And so a donkey was a symbol of power, but it was also a symbol of humility. So the, the donkey is kind of the beige hatchback, of the animal world. You know, it's not the type of animal you're expecting to see at a coronation. But it says something about the type of king that God is putting in place. Someone of both power and humility. So often when we think about power, we think about it in terms of how we use it for ourselves. It becomes self-serving. And certainly as we look through history, Kings have tended to look after themselves far better than they have looked after their subjects. But here we have a king who's coming who is going to be different. A king who is coming to serve the people. And ultimately he will serve humanity by standing in our place and suffering the consequences of our sin. He will die 
so that we can live. And we know all of this is going to end in tragedy, but we still have a sense that Jesus is in control of all of these events. You know, Jesus has told his disciples to go up ahead and to get just the right colt for this moment. And Jesus knows as he rides this donkey into Jerusalem that the people are watching. He knows that some of those people will turn on him, that he will be arrested, imprisoned, and ultimately put to death. And all of this is happening according to God's purpose and plan. All of this is part of Jesus coming to seek and to save the lost. And so we continue the story reading in verse 36. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So for some of these people, they have followed Jesus for a long time. Uh, they have seen Jesus do incredible things, healing people. And now Jesus the King is coming into Jerusalem, the capital, uh, to take his throne. Uh, these people have literally been waiting generations for this event. You know, we can all remember a time when we were little kids and the anticipation of Christmas. You know, those few days before when you are just busting for that day to arrive. You know, you sit at that tree just salivating over those presents as they sit there. And each one you kind of poked and prodded and, sh and shook. You know, you're pretty sure one of them, you know, is a pony. And then, you know, Christmas Day comes, it's 4.35 you know, you jump up, you run into your parents' room, your parents just love you that little bit more. You know, when you get that sense of anticipation, you can appreciate what's going on for the disciples in this moment. This is something they have waited for for a long time. And when they say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, then it's exuberant praise, but it's actually more than that. They're quoting Psalm 118. And what they're saying is all those things that God promised in the Old Testament are now coming to be fulfilled in this moment. It's all happening and they are part of it. You know, for the disciples, it's a moment of euphoria. But of course, it's not that for everyone. Uh, there are some people who are standing there watching what's going on uh, and they're called the Pharisees. Uh, they were sort of the religious establishment of the day. And they say to Je Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. You know, from their perspective as a Pharisee, there is no doubt that Jesus has exceeded every social expectation. You know, he grew up as a lowly carpenter, and now he's become a teacher of incredible influence. You know, he's got a reputation for healing people. You know, he even convinced a tax collector to give up half of his wealth. And when he says to people, give up everything to follow me, they hear it and they do it willingly. But for the Pharisees, what they see is the hype that sort of surrounds a religious cult 
leader. You know, this is someone who is of influence, but it's not a good influence. You know, him claiming to fulfill the Old Testament promises of the Psalms is just going too far. It's one thing to be a teacher of influence. It's another thing to be claiming to be God's gift to humanity. And I think as a culture in the present, we have some of the same reaction. You know, we like the idea of Jesus being a teacher. Uh, we like the, the, some of the morals, at least, of Jesus. But we're not so keen on the claim that he's the son of God who died for our sin. And so we read verses like, love your neighbour as yourself. We like that. But we're not so keen on what comes directly before it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. You know, we love John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But we're not so keen on the second half of that verse. For whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You know, we like to pick and choose those aspects of Jesus that are more convenient for us. But for those listening, for the Pharisees who do not see Jesus as king, then everything that's going on is profoundly offensive. And it's a mistake if we take Jesus as a humble person, but not see him as a king. We shouldn't mistake humility for weakness. So Jesus hears the outrage of these Pharisees, but he isn't going to rebuke his disciples for saying what is simply the truth. But he does have something to say to the Pharisees. Verse 40, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. You know, Jesus is saying even inanimate objects like stones are more attuned to what's going on right now compared to the Pharisees. But he might also be alluding to Psalm 118 again, because in Psalm 118, it talks about a stone that the builders have rejected. So if you can imagine... Uh, that there's a, a building site and there's stones everywhere and the builder walking through this site looking for that perfect cornerstone, that, that one stone that will set up the whole foundation. And in this situation, the builder has walked past the perfect stone for the job. And that's what these Pharisees have done right now. And I think what's doubly tragic in this particular retelling of events is these are Pharisees who have spent their whole life exploring and studying the scriptures. Now, they are waiting for a, a saviour and a messiah. And yet when that saviour comes, when he's standing there in front of them, they miss it. And really, they're not alone. So verse 41. As he approaches Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known of this day, what would bring you peace? But now it's hidden from your eyes. You know, so often we are frustrated by the lack of peace in our life. Uh, right now, we certainly, on a society level, don't feel particularly peaceful with everything that's happening with the coronavirus. You know, we ask ourselves the question, you know, where is God in this? And often we feel very frustrated at God. You know, why isn't God helping us? Why isn't God helping me? But God's peace in this present age isn't the absence of conflict. 
And it's not even about our health and prosperity and well-being. What God does promise is that if we trust him as king, as saviour, then we have everything we need to have peace in the storm. Because he is the one who saves us. He is the one who created us, who loves us. He is the one who gives us a certain hope and a certain future. And with that comes an enormous freedom. Yeah, our identity is not in our work. Our identity is not in our hobbies. Our identity is not in our freedom to go out and just do what we want. Our freedom and our identity is in Christ. And we have a certain and confident future. And so as Christians, we know how to live in uncertain times. We know that we need to keep our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus. We know we need to keep loving our neighbour as ourselves. We know we need to be considerate and tolerant and patient. We need to be ready to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. Now that's the peace that we have in Christ. And we're so thankful that God opens our eyes to see that peace as we see Jesus coming into his kingdom. But for those who reject Jesus, there are also consequences. Jesus describes in this passage an absolutely horrific future for Jerusalem. The day will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognise the time of God's coming to you. And all of this will come to pass in about 40 years' time in AD 70. So there's a Jewish revolt in Jerusalem. The Romans come and besiege the city and end up destroying almost everything. And it all happened because they did not recognise the time of God's coming to you. For lots of people, the idea that God judges... And worse still, that God would send people to hell is a deal breaker. They would say, you know, I cannot believe in a God who could be so cruel and unjust. And there's a lot of assumptions in that sort of statement. There's an assumption that we are good people, uh, that we've done nothing wrong before God. That even though we ignore God, that we still deserve good things from him. It assumes that God is love, and that's right, but it ignores the fact that God is also just. And it assumes that God is kind of like one of our elected politicians who we can tell what to do, rather than God being God, and we need to listen to him. You know, Israel will be judged because they have failed to recognise their king. But we shouldn't assume simply because that was Israel's experience in this moment, that every time something bad happens to us, it's an act of God's judgment against us. And certainly at the moment, as we live in the coronavirus, we shouldn't simply assume that God is judging us now. Absolutely, if there is sin in our life, we want to recognise that, we want to repent. And we recognise that God might be using this as a time to grow us, and to sharpen us, and to discipline us. But at the same time, bad things happen to both bad people and good people. And whatever our status before God, 
We need to live prepared lives. So some people came to Jesus and asked him once, you know, when these people suffered, was it their sin or something else? And this is how Jesus replies. It was about some Galileans. He says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will also perish. You know, we should absolutely examine ourselves and if there are issues of sin, repent. But we do need to also see the bigger picture. Are we always ready to meet our Maker? Do we recognise Jesus as our King and Lord and Saviour who died for us on the cross? Have we repented and believed? Are we ready to take up our cross and follow him because that's what it means to genuinely be a follower of Christ and when we make that commitment then no matter what happens we are ready for whatever future in fact we can look forward to the future with a sense of anticipation you know Jesus coming into Jerusalem is a triumphant moment but it's also tragic because there are some who see Jesus for who he really is, and some who miss it. And so I hope as we reflect on this passage now, that we see hope. We see the hope that Jesus brings, and that we recognise the peace that he offers. Let me pray. Dear Lord, we do thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for your son, Jesus who came as king, but as king will choose to die on a cross. And so, Lord, we thank you that he did that for our sake, so that our relationship with you might be restored. Amen. Well, friends, in response to what we've heard from God's word, let's sing the words of this wonderful song together, and then Rachel is going to lead us in a time of prayer.
everyone, my name is Rachel and it's a wonderful privilege to pray to the God who created everything, knows everything and is in control of everything. In all things, we seek to pray in accordance to his will, knowing that he will answer each prayer according to his good purposes. Because 1 John tells us that this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Uh, So let me pray. Heavenly Father, We continue to bring before you the current crisis the world is facing. Please help contain the unfolding COVID-19 crisis that is internationally affecting us all. Especially, we pray for members of our parliament and government officials that you will give them the wisdom, strength and energy to make wise and effective decisions in the best interest of all our nations. Thank you for the international missionaries continuing to serve you at this challenging time. We pray that you may continue to support them and that they continue to seek your comfort. Through this challenging time, please help us all to be productive with the time we have at home. Whilst many people are fearing what's currently arising, may we be able to demonstrate our hope in you to them so that many more people will come to know you. Thank you for technology and the way in which it is enabling social connections to continue to be fostered during this time, which we are all faced with physical restrictions. Thank you that we are able to engage with the 9am and 6pm podcasts and share these with the broader community who have may not ever heard your word before. We especially pray that people will utilise technological platforms wisely for you to give us the knowledge to discern right from wrong. We praise you that Cross Life Kids and Cross Life Youth are able to continue in a slightly varied format and are very encouraged by the young individuals adapting to the new ways of connecting at present. With physical restrictions in place, we bring before you all those who live in unstable homes. Father, we pray for those where home for them may not be their safe place. We also bring before you nations less privileged than Australia, where survival is challenging enough without a global pandemic. We thank you for the medical expertise and availability in Australia and pray for those countries where access to food, water and medical supplies is now severely restricted. Father, we also bring before you all those people affected by the loss of employment. In this new unstable world we live in, please give them reassurance And we pray that they'll continue to trust in you and love you throughout this difficult time. Father, this week we pray especially for the following members of our church. Judy and Ken Robinson, Karen Robinson, Greg and Marguerite Robson, Ben Robson and Sam Robson. And we pray from Philippians 1 verses 9 to 11 that their love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so they may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Father, we rejoice that you pardon and forgive those who submit to your Lordship and truly repent. Please forgive us. This week we have failed to live up to who you have called us to be. We have done what we shouldn't have done and not done what we should have done. Help us through your spirit to live godly, righteous and holy lives and finally come to your eternal glory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The Psalms remind us that the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Dear Lord, we thank you that you are near, that you hear our prayers and answer according to goodwill.
Amen. We're now going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together as a church family. By doing so, we're following the command of Jesus to remember his death on the cross for us in this symbolic meal. The bread reminds us of his body and the juice reminds us of his blood shed on the cross so our sins can be forgiven. Listen to the words of scripture. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, Whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. Well, friends, in light of God's word, it's right that we confess our sins together. To help us reflect on where our hearts are at this, uh, this evening. I've asked Max to share some favourite Bible verses with a bit of music. Following that, we'll say a prayer of confession together that will be on the screen. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him, through the death of his son, how much more? 
having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Friends, let's pray together. Dear God, you love us and created us to know and love you, but we have all sinned against you in our thoughts, words and actions and in the good things we have failed to do. We are sorry. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for us. Thank you that by his death, the power of sin is broken and the penalty of sin is removed. And thank you that he rose again to give us the certain hope of eternal life. Amen. Friends, God has promised to forgive all who confess their sin and trust in Jesus. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8 says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So if you've put your trust in Jesus, take this bread, remembering that his body was given for you, and be thankful. And take this cup and drink it, remembering that Christ's blood was shed so that your sins could be forgiven, and be thankful. Friends, let's pray. Dear loving Father, we give you thanks and praise that when we were still far off, you met us in your Son and brought us home. Dying and living, he declared your love and gave us grace and opened the gates of heaven. May we who share Christ's body live his risen life. We who drink his cup bring life to others. We whom the Spirit lights give light to the world. Amen. Well, friends, thanks for joining us tonight. It's been an uplifting time together. Next week, of course, is Easter. We often have many visitors at our services. Because of social distancing, it's never been easier to invite people and it's never been easier to attend. Why not share our Easter invitation on your Facebook page and celebrate with us on Good Friday at 9am and again on Easter Sunday at 9am and 6pm. After we're finished, I'll put a couple of questions on the screen. Can I encourage you to reflect on them and talk about them with others? And while you're here, why not add a comment below so we can continue to encourage one another? Let's finish now by saying the grace together. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all evermore. Amen.